0: Today, we have Susan Rogers. She comes from a social work background, and she helps the living and the dead. You heard that right. She speaks to and counsels the dead. Susan, welcome. How did you connect with my dad?
2: We graduated from high school together. We went through high school all the way through. Oh, my God. He did not mention
0: that part.
2: <laughs> no. Oh, geez. Yeah, we went all four years of high school, and it may have even, we may have even been in junior high school together, yeah.
0: Oh my God. How cool is that? Yeah, it was cool.
2: He was a great guy.
0: (laughs) What was he like in high school? Pretty much the same that he's like now. (laughs) Oh my God. That is so cool that you knew my dad in high school. I did not get that part.
2: Oh yes. Yes.
0: Do you have any memories of him?
2: I mean, we were probably in most of our classes together because I was kind of the the hippie radical in the classes, and he was far from that. <laughs> what was he like? He talks a lot. He always has talked a lot. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> and he's a very smart guy. I mean, he can, he can expound on like so many things, but yeah, that's what I remember, that he talked a lot and he was very, very smart.
0: Aw, I agree. I agree with that. I know that like he was part of the chess club and he was into sports. I was hanging out with the the hip
2: kids out on the corner, smoking the cigarettes. Your father was not involved in that at all.
0: So cool. So are you from that area? Yes, I'm originally I was born in Fall River,
2: but now I'm in Florida.
0: Yeah, you totally said Florida like you're from Florida. <laughs> he told me that you have a ghost friend. Yes.
2: Yes. Back up in in Massachusetts, yes. When did you
0: meet this ghost friend?
2: It was officially, I guess, in 2014. And it was at this little club bar we used to hang out at, restaurant bar. It was just one night that uh, I felt this kind of tug on my hair, tingle in my leg. And I was like, hmm. So then it just kind of progressed from there. And that's what the book is all about. I guess I am a psychic, so I guess because he could tap in, channel
0: in, you know, tap into my energy. When did you know that you had these psychic abilities?
2: When I was a kid, I I knew something was going on. I really couldn't define it, and I I couldn't probably have explained it, but I remember when I was a little kid talking to people, talking to people who weren't there. That's my first memory of it. And then I actually saw my first ghost when I was 31. It was my great-grandmother, and she was standing at the foot of the bed and calling my name. I mean, it didn't bother me because I was used to it. I mean, i just, it's just been part of my life, and I never felt threatened. Did you have a conversation with her? No, she just called my name, you know, and I knew it was her voice, and I could see her standing there. And I was just kind of shocked because it was the first time I had ever actually seen a ghost but she wasn't like all you know drapey gauzy type thing it was her i could see her her features you know almost as if she was standing there she's just a little
0: wavery you know just a little bit but it was her for sure can you channel your grandmother or other people
2: yes i have not ever channeled her back i can always try to make a connection. It doesn't always connect. And then I get spirits contacting me. My theory is I was a social worker all of my career. And so my whole life has been helping other people. So I tend to have spirits contact
0: that I can help. I'm interested in your social work background. Can you tell me a little bit about that chapter? Sure.
2: I got my degree in social work from Providence College in Rhode Island. My first couple of jobs out of school, social work jobs paid terribly when I was just out of school in the the late 70s and early 80s. My first couple of jobs were with helping abused children, dealing with that. Very, very traumatic, very stressful. I went to work for a while in a hospital doing medical discharge planning and that kind of thing and helping people make arrangements to go home. And I also worked in elderly abuse. Probably maybe five years after I started and I got involved with an advocacy program for elders who needed nursing home care. And then in the 90s, mid nineties, I went to work for the Department of Public Health doing nursing home inspections. In the midst of all that, I mean you can't be a social worker, or at least I never found that I could I could actually not get involved with the person themselves. You know, whenever there's that kind of um, stress and trauma, they always need a counseling.
0: The world definitely needs more of you.
2: It was very satisfying, very stressful, uh, very hard work. I mean, it, it wasn't easy, but it just kind of came naturally to me. So that's why I think that it's kind of just transferred over into my dealings with the spirit world and those spirits that were really harmed or had trauma in their lives on earth that wasn't resolved after they died are looking for healing just like any one of us would that went through that kind of trauma.
0: I would love to know about some of the children that you worked with and some of the children you were able to help through trauma. The, the
2: children were the toughest group that I worked with. I mean, the elders were difficult. I mean, I felt felt a lot of um, empathy for the elders, but the children, it was very difficult. It was just challenging. I had a, children that were, were physically abused. I had children that were neglected. Um, I had children whose parents um, just didn't want them, like would sign off over their parental rights to the court. I worked with uh, teenagers who were, Depressed, had all the common teenager problems multiplied by a million. Very often the children I dealt with were out of their parental home. Whether that was, you know, just a single mother or a single father. I also had some kids that kind of made up things because they thought it would be kind of fun to get a vacation from mom and dad and kind of I don't know. That that never worked out well for anyone. I had two girls, two sisters and they really accused their parents of physical abuse, which never really happened at all. But until you investigate, you don't know that. So you have to take the girls out of the house because you have to protect them. And it just, it was horrible. It was horrible for everybody
0: involved. What is the investigation like?
2: You interview anybody and everybody who might have any involvement in the situation, anybody who might have any information, The kids, the parents, the aunts, the uncles, you know, brothers, sisters, next door neighbors. And you have to remember that this was in the 80s. So we didn't have any phones to record things. We didn't have cell phones, any of that stuff. Very often you had to go to court. You'd have to go to court and testify. That's hard.
0: It is hard. Yeah, it is hard. And how do you know if they're lying?
2: It just becomes a judgment call. You just have to, you have to watch facial expressions. You have to watch body language. You have to listen to the tone of their voice. And you basically just have to make a judgment call at the end. That's
0: what it comes down to. Were you able to help children through their parents not wanting them?
2: Yeah, there was one little girl in particular. I almost decided to adopt her, but I didn't. She was the sweetest little thing. And she was the same age as my son. I think she was seven at the time, seven or eight parents, they were both drug addicts. Well, I wouldn't say they were drug addicts. I think they were recreational drug users. And they liked to go out and party. They would often shovel her off to her grandparents or an aunt or a friend or whatever. They never really did spend much time with her. And then she was removed from the home for neglect because they weren't providing. It just ripped your heart out. I mean, this beautiful little girl was the sweetest thing. And And the parents just like, we, we, don't, we don't want her we you know we don't want her we don't want to be parents we just you know she's in our way so she went into foster care because there wasn't anyone in the family really capable or uh, available to take her in but she was seven she knew that I mean she was aware of that and that was just so heartbreaking we did find her foster placement we did find her an adoptive family after many months after parents signed her over.
0: She was one of my favorites, one that I will never forget. I wonder if her parents regretted that. I don't know. I just hope she got a very good, happy adoptive home. Have you kept in touch with any of the kids that you've helped? No, no, I haven't. It's funny because I worked in television, and some of my favorite guests from the show have now found me on social media and Uh, kept in touch with me 20 years later. Oh, wow.
2: Yeah, that's cool. I was in their lives for such a short time that, you know, it. although it was a, a stressful time and it was a, a, an intense time, it still was a very short time. And probably in their young lives, you know, they moved on. I'm sure they had more stressful times and more intense times. And it was just one episode of many, I'm sure.
0: I'm also interested in the elder abuse. Is that most of the time from family?
2: Yes, yes it is. I do say that very often the family is frustrated. They are having a hard time coping. Their parent or grandparent or whatever is not the person they used to be. You know, they're no longer capable. They were always the strong one or whatever. And now the child or grandchild is the one who has to be the caretaker. And that's a difficult transition to do. So very often it was frustration. Many times it was financial abuse as well. And that often would be from strangers or neighbors or a frequent scenario was, would be like a, a, a younger woman who would say, oh, I'll come in and help you and I'll take care of you and I'll be your caretaker and, and move in and, and begin that role. And then while they're there, they just take incredible advantage and end up you know, cleaning up bank accounts,
0: pawning jewelry. I mean, it's, it's an awful thing. What can someone do if they know someone in that situation? In most states have elder advocates
2: of some form or another at the state level, and then they have local or regional offices of that state
0: agency. What do you think of this whole COVID situation?
2: Oh, boy. I don't know. You know what? I go back and forth. Some days, it's like, oh, my god. Where's my mask? I got to put my mask on. And then other days it's like, oh, I'm so sick of this mask. I think it's a very real issue. I think, as always, there's some hype with every situation that happens. I don't want to be the one to call where the line is. (laughs) I don't want to be that person.
0: But COVID for people that are being abused. That's a very difficult situation.
2: I can't imagine domestic abuse, women who are in abusive situations or children you know, locked down with their abuser, with no avenue for any kind of assistance or escape from that at all. I can't even imagine how horrible that must be.
0: Have you been visited by any ghost friends in your house? Actually, yes. I
2: don't know who they are, though. They haven't identified themselves to me, but very often I'll be lying in bed early in the morning or late at night, and I'll hear like the sound of someone putting the key in the lock in the front door and then the front door kind of opening, but there's nobody there. I've heard knocks on the door and then like the sound of packages being dropped like in front of the door. And I'll go figuring, oh, FedEx or whatever was here. And nope, there's no boxes. There's nobody there. There's no packages. Yeah, there's some traffic there. I just, I don't know who it is though. I, I presume it must be a former resident of the house, um, but I don't know who they are. I haven't figured that out yet.
0: Do you hear voices?
2: Occasionally, but not very often. Not at the house. There's a local bar that we go to. I often hear voices there, or I will, like, I'll be sitting, and I'll see, like, a shadow out of the corner of my eye, and I'll turn around, and there's nobody there. Or I'll hear the door opening and closing, like somebody's coming in. No, it's just it's it's been there a very long time and it's been a local spot
0: are you drinking when you
2: hear the voices <laughs> sometimes sometimes not <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny because my boyfriend who is the most logical concrete person in the world he says it's cuz he's a capricorn but he has an explanation and everything has to be tidied up and you know and since we've been together he has no problem accepting that i have interaction with spirits but every now and then he'll say anybody here somebody just touched my shoulder or somebody just pulled my hair or somebody just tugged on my shirt anybody here anybody here and he'll ask me and it's like yeah there could be <laughs> so he's starting to experience some things too just by association i guess so
0: has he ever seen anything no he hasn't seen anything and you said that you can channel people as well right Yes. I also read
2: tarot cards for people. So very often when I'm reading their cards, if they're asking about somebody who's passed or something, that, that spirit will come through to me while I'm reading their cards and have a message for them.
0: I have a friend that really wants to be able to reach her parents. Is that a common ask?
2: Yeah, it is parents, you know, brothers or sisters who have passed, a very close family member that's passed. And I will do that for for people. I will try to help them do that. It works probably 75% of the time. I can get some information. It helps if I have an object that belonged to them. Is anybody here right now? I don't think so. Although I had a friend that used to say when I walked in the door, I brought an army with me. (laughs) So she always
0: used to tell me. That's funny because, yeah, my dad says something like that. He's like, you know, when you're winning, everybody wants to be part of your army. Yes, yes. What is the difference between a medium and like a transvoyant? A transvoyant, there are different
2: kinds of connections. A medium is a person that just has an open connection with the spirit world. I mean, that's basically what a medium is. And when you think of a medium, you think of somebody who can do what we just talked about, you know, bring in the person's mother or father, or grandmother, or whatever, because they want a message from them. Kind of, if you think of like a seance type of thing. There are different ways to get messages. So if you talk about transvoyance or clairvoyance, that is literally seeing So it means being able to visually or just connecting wise, being able to see beyond this world into the other.
0: Can we do that right now? (laughs) What do you want to do? Can we reach my grandfather? Oh my goodness. We can, we can try.
2: Just tell me what his first name was. Marvin. Not promising, but let's see what we can do. What I see in my mind is... A black fedora, kind of like the one your dad has in that picture behind you. <laughs> with like a herringbone band, a lighter color. He always wore a suit with a white shirt and a little one of the, a little skinny tie, a little skinny black tie, is what I'm seeing. Was he a grocer? Was did he have something to do with uh, selling foods or produce? or I'm just getting, oh, this is
0: ridiculous. Oh, this is ridiculous. Really? He was a salesman, but he sold lighting reflectors. Oh, oh.
2: I I was getting groceries pretty strong, so I don't know.
0: My grandmother used to go and get fruits and bring them back to her mom when they lived in New York. She's told stories about going to the fruit market and stuff like that, but he did always wear suits every day. Did he have a hat? Yeah, he loved to dress nice. (laughs) It was actually kind of cool even thinking about that when you said it. Yeah, he came into my mind, even just having you think about it. So that was kind of nice. Does my dad know all of the work that you've done as far as the social work and the elder abuse and all of that? I
2: don't know if he does or not. I'm not sure.
0: I feel like he would love to talk to you about that. How did the book come about?
2: As time went on and I got more and more messages from Norman, the, the ghost in the book, he would kind of give me a piece of information about his real life. And then I would go, look it up. I would research it and see if it really happened, if I could find a real situation, find him in the real situation. And most of the time I could. So it started out, his first challenge was he told me that he was raised by his aunt and uncle in the town where I I lived, that he, he felt abandoned. His father didn't want him. His parents didn't want him and he felt abandoned and they gave him was brought up by his aunt and uncle so I went to the census records which are available up through 1940 and I searched all the census records for a nephew named Norman living with an aunt and uncle in a town there were only two came up and he was one of the two and so I was kind of able to go through some process of, of evaluating the two of them and comparing and so on. And, and he had been with his aunt and uncle since he was very young, whereas the other Norman had just recently moved into a, in with his aunt and uncle. He wasn't with them in the previous census. And I discovered a number of facts that I could put with information that he gave me. Not all of them came out perfectly. Like he told me he was in the Navy. But he really was in the Army, so there was kind of that little those little conjunctions like that were a little off. But they did come out. He told me the name Pauline. He said that was his wife's name. It wasn't his wife's name. It was his mother's name. But I was able to find his entire life story for the most part with a few years of gaps here and there, and then go through and and prove that he really lived that he was a real living person, and this was his life. And so that was the basis of the book, proving that you know he was my friend he was a ghost but he was also a real living
0: person do you feel like you helped him
2: i do i do without giving away the entire story of the book <laughs> there were some issues that he had that we shared and one of those was uh, feeling abandoned so his his mother died when he was born and his father had to give him up to other family members and so he always felt that given away that they didn't want him without understanding he was just small child. He never had any more contact with his father or his siblings. So we really had these issues with abandonment. I kind of did too. A lot of my family members had kind of died when I was young. And so we kind of helped each other. And that came out to be the purpose of why we really
0: got together. How can someone work through abandonment? Do you have tips?
2: Well, I don't think you ever work through it and resolve it. I think that you can come to terms with it.
0: So you still feel like you struggle with those same feelings? I think I have come to
2: accept them and I no longer really struggle with them. It's just, it happened. There's nothing I can do to change it. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't nice, but I can't change it. So it happened. I'll accept it and I'll go from there. Do you feel comfortable talking about who abandoned you? I got divorced from a husband after 36 years. My mother and I, I have never had a good relationship. She didn't really abandon me, but there was not a lot of affection or love there, which I always tried to seek. I was always trying to do things that would make her want me, love me. Finally, I came to the realization that it was never going to happen. It was the way it was. Why don't you think she loved you? I think she was too caught up in her own self, her own issues. Do you think that led you to your social work? It certainly could have had a good part of it, sure. Yeah. What was your daddy like? He was great. I mean, I was kind of a daddy's girl. (laughs) I was the oldest. I had sisters and he never had a son. So very often I was the one that would like watch the baseball games with him.
0: We were very close. I love that. So do you believe in an afterworld? I
2: do. I believe in reincarnation. I believe that when you die, your spirit should be able to look back on your life and any previous lives and say, This is the lesson I learned. Or geez, I didn't do a very good job at that. Maybe I should try it again. See if I can get it better the next time. And so then I think that's the motivation for going into your next life, your spirit and your Your essence, is what, how I think of it, will always be the same, no matter what your outer casing might look like. Even if you're reincarnated. Which is why your spirit and your soul identifies those issues you need to work on. Because if you have an issue, if you have a problem, you change it by identifying it and working on it. So if you're a murderer, if your essence is to be a murderer, you have to learn to not be a murderer. Was your life cut short by some traumatic means? That you became angry that you weren't able to complete what you wanted to do, to live out your life? You know, you died at 25. Um, I have a spirit that came to me. I call him Captain Jack. He told me his name was Jack and he was a whaler. He was the first mate on a whaling ship. And his father was a, a very famous whale master, whaling master captain ship ships and so on and Jack was 24 and he was on this um, whaling voyage as a, a first mate so getting his experience so the next voyage he made he was going anticipated that he was going to be the master of his next voyage because he was going through the whole process and his father was going to help him they went all the way to Australia hunting New Zealand they're on their way back. So they sailed up the East Coast of the United States and came to Long Island, New York. At the tip of Long Island is Montauk. The whaling ship at that point was just maybe about 50 miles from their home port of New Bedford, Massachusetts. And they ran into a big storm. The ship ran aground and started to list and take on water and and the storm was still raging and he, Jack took the lailing boat with my like six other men from the ship to try to make sure because it wasn't that far away, maybe like 200 yards away. And the boat was swamped and he was drowned. Very traumatic. He showed me the whole vision of him being swamped in the boat and going down and in the water. But he was angry. And he and I worked through that together. He, I don't think he actually accepted the fact that this is not what he how he wanted to end his life it was cut short I mean that was just the way it was by the time we got done and we talked it through his anger had really abated he had really uh, worked through a lot of it he hadn't had anyone to talk to he died in 1842 so for 160 years here he was this spirit who was traumatized and angry about having his life cut so short without anybody to talk to or anybody to to say god damn it look what happened to me and i had to promise him i was i would write his story so everyone would know it that's in my next book his story
0: have you been able to trace any of his genealogy
2: i did i did all of it yes i actually went to his grave visited the house where he grew up
0: whoa was he there with you when you were visiting these things
2: yes yes it was wow. it was An amazing experience, I have to say, an incredible experience.
0: This has been so much fun. I cannot wait to hear what my daddy has to say about this. I can't wait
2: to hear what your dad has to say either.
0: (laughs) So, Daddy, what did you think?
1: What a very interesting uh, meeting with Sue Rogers. (laughs) And as you already know, it's quite a coincidence that I got Refamiliarized familiarized with Sue at a reunion of my high school, and she was in most of my classes. She's right, through junior high school and high school. Isn't that an unbelievable story to start with?
0: Yeah, you left that part out when you uh,
1: told me that I should have her on. She wrote a book, which I read, and where she has been able to connect with people that are really in between worlds. Where they uh, have issues or problems, and isn't it ironic that people that even have left this world? But she's already mentioned to you that she's met someone else that has contacted her that has had different issues and wants his story told, which is going to probably be her second book. And her first book, Searching Out Norman, is a really a very intriguing book. Hopefully, you'll have a chance to read it as well, and hopefully, your viewers will. Want to read her book because it's really a very down to earth, fascinating uh, book of how she searches down uh, a person who contacts her, their whole life and their whole life story, and tries to show that not only the person exists, but what some of the issues this person has faced alive and some of the issues that they're facing now that they've left this world and what they want to try to correct or get. Their story told, even though they're not here any longer. I think it's a very fascinating analysis. And as you know, your father has had some visions of the future at times. And you know how strongly I'm connected with the Almighty, where he has given me uh, certain lessons and visions and lifetime experiences where some people would think that your father has maybe lost his mind a little bit, but yet these crazy happenings, as you know, have happened. And uh, when you talk about certain people that I have visited that were a part of the synagogue or part of our family where that was near the end of life, where uh, some of them have seen me as a a vision themselves that like I was some angel taking them to heaven. David Kahn, what was the name of that math teacher? Sturman uh, girl, uh, Beth's mother. And there's That's just three of many people who have actually talked to me just before they have passed away, thinking that I was the angel to take them to heaven. I think it's very possible that people can develop their brain to be able to communicate, not necessarily by talking to someone, that you can actually think hard enough about a person and be able to communicate your thoughts or your uh, instincts to them without having a conversation on the phone, where there's a lot of times where I could be thinking of even you, Lena, or someone, and all of a sudden, I get a call on the phone just by thinking of them.
0: The Better Call Daddy Show is now proudly sponsored by Sadie Simper Designs. Listen, I had Sadie make some custom animated gifts for this podcast, and they were fantastic. Animated GIFs are a great way to make Instagram stories more interesting, and they can also be used in place of your logo to make your emails more dynamic. Sadie creates custom branding. She doesn't just take a logo based off of nothing. She helps you take time to build your brand's identity, and she creates a brand suite that is truly tailored to you. Have you seen my Megawatts Productions logo? She made that. Visit sadiesimperdesigns.com to see portfolio and brand packages. For 20% off your custom gift or brand suite, email sadiesimperdesigns at gmail.com and use the subject line, call daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and TuneIn. Add Better Call Daddy podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Wise on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show.